Good morning. Would you stand with us as we begin this morning singing, This is Amazing Grace.
It's uh, great to have you with us this morning. My name's Fred Holcomb. I'm the music pastor here at Grace, and uh, we just hope that you've had a wonderful week, uh, Thanksgiving, and friends and family, and we're just excited that you've joined us here and a part of our service, and just praying that you'll be blessed with every part of uh, the service as we are meeting together. Pastor Adam and his family are out of town. They went to Iowa to see their oldest son, Caleb, and they're actually traveling back uh, later today, so we'll pray for them as they're uh, on their way back. Um, a few prayer requests as we uh, begin our service this morning. Um, many of you know Linda Smith. Bobby and Linda have been attending Grace for a number of years now. And uh, Linda's been sick over the last few years, but she's been very sick the last week and a half and uh, has a very weak heart. And we got a text this morning to say the doctors aren't giving her much hope and uh, that um, she doesn't have a whole lot longer to live. So we're praying for her this morning, but also praying for, for Bobby, her husband, as he's there by her side and uh, just pray grace and mercy in their lives today. Um, also, uh, Amy Lackey um, is, uh, has been in the hospital this week as well, and we're just praying that she'll be able to get the needed tests and doctor's appointments that are uh, for her this week as uh, she's struggling with some physical issues too. So I'd like to read a portion of scripture as we begin this morning and then um, have a word of prayer with you as we continue our worship time together. I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, and it'll be on the screen, and you can just kind of read along with me, but I'll read for us this morning. Familiar passage, it says, God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places, in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace have you been saved, through faith, and it's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we've already sung of your amazing grace. And if it were not for that grace and mercy, we would not be here today. We would be lost and without hope. So we are so grateful. We give you praise this morning for your blessings that you've given to us and to our families. We want to lift up some of our church family to you today. We lift up Linda Smith and uh, her physical needs. We know that you can heal her, Lord. Uh, but if that's not your will, we pray uh, the grace in dying. We pray for Bobby as he's by her side and some other family members. We pray that um, you would just give them strength and comfort and peace at this time. We also pray for Amy Lackey and some physical needs that she's been facing this past week. And we pray that you would strengthen her and continue to help the doctors as they uh, diagnose the problems and that she'd be able to get the needed tests this week and appointments that, um, that she needs and desires. We also pray for Pastor and Kelly and the boys as they travel back to uh, Chattanooga today. You would give them safety and bring them back to us uh, healthy and, and safe. We pray that you would 
just meet with us today, Lord, in a special way. We pray that you meet with us as we sing, as we look into your word, as we listen to your message today as it's proclaimed. Help us to listen carefully to the Holy Spirit that would lead and guide us. We love you. We thank you for loving us so unconditionally, Lord. And we pray those things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Would you stand with me again as we continue uh, our worship together and singing, To God be the glory, great things he has done.
we praise you this morning. You are the fountain, our king, the victorious warrior, Lord of everything. And we praise you today for that. Lord, please help us to open our hearts to your word today. Be with Kelly as he brings the message and you just speak through him your word. May it just be present with us. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit that deals with us and deals, guides us and leads us as we study and as we glean from scripture. So we pray those things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Fred, so, so much. Uh, We're just going to do that. How about that? Good morning, church. How are you? Are you full? How many of you, the leftovers are already gone? Wow, we're coming to your house. That sounds great. Um, Why don't you go ahead and turn to Colossians 3. We'll get there in just a second. Um, For those of you um, who don't know me, my name is Kelly O'Rear. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Grace. And um, I just want you to know that through the songs this morning, you have already sung the message. Um, And so I'm already a a basket case this morning, but that's, that happens. Um, My family is well aware of the fact that when it comes to the holidays, I am a sentimental mess, okay? Um, So I'm the one that needs to get off by himself when we're putting up the Christmas decorations just because I have to cry for a little bit. uh, so, so fall, like fall is my favorite time of year, but I love Christmas and I love the process of setting things out and whatever. But I, I will tell you this, <clears throat> on Christmas Eve last year, I wrote some um, rather hasty, stern, heartfelt words of advice for myself for future reference. So this is, this is from my journal, December 24th, 2022. Just a little insight into life of me living with me. Uh, Been in tears the last two days because I feel I've missed enjoying the Christmas season again. Um, Annual visit to Fresh Market and Hobby Lobby to see the decorations and the celebratory confectionaries disappearing and marked down significantly. Kills me. I wanted to weep. I still do. I've been reflecting on why it doesn't feel like Christmas, and here are words of advice for me for next year. So here's what I wrote to myself. The jury's still out on whether I have abided by these instructions, but I did pull them out the other day. Um, And I didn't list all of them. These are just a few. Make decorating an experience and, and fun for all, not a task to be finished. Start shopping as early as the beginning of the fall. It comes fast with so much going on, demanding time. So do that early. Find a prayer book that focuses on the season. So successful, this just came out. So that, that's been fulfilled, ready to start that. Don't, <laughs> this only applies to me. Don't read books on heavy theological or cultural hot topics in December which I did last year. Indulge the nostalgia early, especially shows with the kids that take you back to your own childhood. 
Do the trips to see Christmas lights and things like that and the music early. Don't save everything to the end. You'll miss it because of other busyness. <laughs> I hate this one. Um, save house tasks like yard work for after Christmas. Practice some stillness just sitting and enjoying the moment, even with the Christmas lights on early or sitting up late. Real... <laughs> Realize the temperatures may bug you because it's not as cold as you'd like. Get over it. <laughs> Try to continue getting up at your regular early time. It will make a huge difference in your mood. Go shopping with family earlier to pick out a gift and not wait so it feels like a duty or a task rather than an experience and love. Make moments, not tasks. The, amen. Um, so that's, that's the end of, of that. So this is, this is the, the awkward Sunday between Thanksgiving, which we've experienced in the past, and Christmas, which is coming, but it's not Advent yet. So it feels a little rather awkward to talk too much about Christmas yet. So we're on a threshold. So this morning, how do we join that, that heart of Thanksgiving that really should pervade all of the life of a believer with also a celebration of the king and the coming of the king. There, there are two biblical themes that you will see throughout scripture from beginning to end. One is that heart of thanks, of grace, and the other is of a king and a kingdom. You, you can't read the Bible and miss those two themes. So what we're gonna do is let's start out in Colossians 3.17. We're gonna talk just a little bit about this verse then we're going to go to the Old Testament to see this, a, a picture of this illustrated, and then we'll come back to Colossians again. So Colossians 3.17 says this, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus or in the name of King Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I would submit to you that this is probably a, a key, if not the key verse of the whole book. It's the, the, all of the thoughts of the book surround this, okay? And, and notice that giving thanks to God the Father through him, through Christ. So giving of thanks is something that pervades the life of a believer. It is prominent in the life of a believer. It's not, it's not a once a year holiday, but a consistent expression of our lives. Now. The beauty of this word thanksgiving is that it is rooted in a word that the Bible, that the New Testament translates grace. So, so what, is, what is thanks? Thanks is a response to having received, recognized grace. So it's interesting, I don't know if you watched the parade um, on Thursday, we paused on the commercials and some of the advertisements of shows and things like that that were in there. But it was interesting how many references there were to Thanksgiving, but not like thanks has to be directed to someone. And like the someone seems like was, was not mentioned at all. And that, that just bugged me. Even some prominent people who were on the phone um, never mentioned, um, never mentioned God or giving thanks, thanks to God. But for the believer, what, what Paul is telling us here when he says giving thanks to God is savoring, recognizing and savoring God's good grace and undeserved kindness to you. So, so grace is at the core of thanks. 
That means that giving thanks is the response of praise and gratitude and glory to God for his lavished kindness. So, so 317, do everything in the name of the Lord, the King, Jesus, giving thanks. So we started with the thanks part. We, we live for the glory of King Jesus, doing all things in, in his name. We live for the glory of King Jesus with consistent thanksgiving because we're always seeing and humbly celebrating God's grace, his undeserved kindness to us in every circumstance. But what I would like to do is let's, let's go back in time a little bit and let's go back to, um, is it first or second Samuel? I want, I want second Samuel and I want you to go to right now to second Samuel four. What I would like to do is just take a moment to give us a picture of grace shown by a king to kind of help us to appreciate and to visualize this moment. God knows that we are visual learners. Um, so much of the Bible is full of stories and because we relate to stories. We connect with stories. So, so 2 Samuel 4, what is going on in 2 Samuel? <clears throat> well, um, Saul and John, King Saul, Israel's first king, King Saul and his son Jonathan have died David, the now anointed king, he's already been anointed king by the prophet, um, calls for mourning, calls for the nation to mourn. But, but Saul has another son. So his, his son Jonathan was killed in battle with him, but Saul has another son, Ishbosheth, who seeks to usurp David. Okay, so he seeks to usurp and fight against the king. That rebellion is squashed. But there's this curious verse in the midst of talking about that rebellion, that initial rebellion that we find in chapter 4, verse 4 of 2 Samuel. Jonathan, the son of Saul, who's now dead, had a son who was crippled in his feet. 2 Samuel 4, 4. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel and his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, she fell he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. Now, go to chapter 9. Kelly, what in the world does this have to do with Thanksgiving or Christmas? Or I, I hope that you will see. If not, I have not um, succeeded, and Pastor Adam won't ask me to preach again. I cannot turn. My, oh, there it is, chapter 9. So now let's enter into, we're moving ahead 15 years from the verse that we that we just read, okay? So 15 years ahead, 2 Samuel 9.1. And David said, is there now anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now let's pause for a second um, because three significant names have just been mentioned here, okay? So David is the king of Israel. He is at the height of of his reign as king, his enemies have been defeated, uh, people are protected, he's respected by nations far and wide, he's a valiant warrior, he's a servant leader, he's a man after God's own heart. 
and he mentions Saul, the house of Saul. So he's reflecting. He's reflecting on Saul. So Israel's first king who was insecure and and felt threatened by David's uh, being loved by the people and tried to wipe David out. And yet we never see any hint of, of resentment in David's heart towards Saul. So he's thinking about Saul, but particularly Jonathan. Is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, Many of us familiar with our Old Testament will know this. Jonathan and David's friendship is one of the most celebrated friendships in the Old Testament. They made a solemn oath to one another, a covenant to one another. Usually that would involve blood sacrifice. That they they vowed to protect one another for life, for as long as they lived. And they would always have one another's back. And in this moment of 2 Samuel 9, we're 15 years later, and David is thinking back. Something has prompted him to think back, and he's thinking about Jonathan. And he says, is there anyone in the house of Jonathan, any of King Saul's descendants, that I may show kindness to? Verse 2. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, so the former king, whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Now, why would he say that? Because from what we know of history, if you are a reigning king, and it was, it was very typical of the culture, if you're reigning king, then what you would often do and what kings would often do is wipe out any threats to your throne and particularly those of the former king. So when David mentions, it's, it's almost as if Ziba didn't hear, I want to show kindness to him. And he says, listen, he's crippled in both feet. What's he saying? He's no threat to you. He's no threat to your kingdom. You, you don't need to search him out. And that's, that's not David's motive at all. That's not his his heart at all. Verse 4, the king said, where is he? Now, what we realize from this passage is David had no idea that his closest friend had had a son. And now he learns that Jonathan, with whom he had made a covenant to protect for life, has a son and he he wants to show the grace and kindness of, of, of God and that David has received, he wants to show that to Mephibosheth, this son he's never heard of. And what's going through David's mind is he thinks, I wonder if he looks like Jonathan. I, I wonder what this will be like to have him. And he's already kind of thinking through what he's going to do. And the king said, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. He's in the middle of nowhere. He's living in obscurity. He's about 50 miles away. And he is the only, from what we see here, he is the only male direct descendant from the former king. That's important because it's going to show up in a response here in just a little bit. Then David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. Now, guys, you, you got to use some sanctified imagination here, okay? Mephibosheth's day started like any other. 
living in obscurity, forgotten in the middle of nowhere. And then the king's men are sighted and they are coming your direction. For any descendant of a former king, they do not see this as a welcoming committee. And they are coming for you. What in the world is going through his mind? Did the guards even explain? Probably not. But what's going through Mephibosheth's mind is this. I've been trying to live in obscurity and out of the sight of the king because I know that my grandfather did not like him. My uncle rebelled against him. Whatever, I don't want to be connected with that rebellion. And and if anything, I just want to keep out of the way and I don't want to be noticed. And somehow the king has found out and he's coming for him. And Mephibosheth is thinking, this is not good. He was five years old when the nurse fled with him under the rebellion of his uncle. Did Mephibosheth have any idea, probably not, about the covenant, about the relationship, about the bond of the two warriors, his father and the king? And certainly David did not know about Mephibosheth. So this man goes from obscurity to the throne room of the king. Mephibosheth, it says, falls on his face and paid homage, probably thinking that his life is in jeopardy. He has no idea what is about to happen here. Verse 6, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said, Do not fear. These are not the words that he expected to hear. Do not fear. For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant? that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I. I want to show covenant kindness to you, Mephibosheth, on behalf of your father. I want to restore the status of your family, of your possessions. Mephibosheth understands his status and his lack of, of deserving anything before the king. He's done nothing to earn to deserve this. This relationship is only possible because of the actions and the relationship of another with the king. Covenant love extended to one unaware and never expecting, never anticipating this. And then look at what happens. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant. He said to him, all that belonged to Saul and all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring him the produce. But your master's grandson may have bread to eat. That your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So there's the servant. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. 
Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So, and I love such a curious ending to this obscure story, verse 13. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. And look at how it ends. Now he was lame in both of his feet. He had to be carried to the table. He was actually ushered into and invited in. He was searched out by the king to sit at and join in and sit at the king's table. And as I thought about this years ago, this story has always gotten to me. The funny thing about sitting at a table is you can't see your feet. He did nothing to earn this, but he received a blessing that had been sealed years before. His residence and status were changed forever. He was carried to the king's table. Now he was crippled in both feet. Go back to Colossians. How do you think Mephibosheth felt? What would have been his response? Here's a picture, a beautiful picture in the Old Testament of one who is lavished in undeserved, unmerited, even unexpected grace and kindness from the king. So how does this obscure Old Testament story give meaning to our verse, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, as I said, throughout the Bible, the theme of a promised king and kingdom and of his grace are just woven. They're just shot through. If you, if you remove the king and his kingdom and grace, you just have chapter headings. I mean, it's all over the place in the Bible, okay? So in order to really add some brushstrokes to this beautiful painting of, of grace that causes one to have thanksgiving that we're invited to sit at the king's table. Let's, let's look at some other brushstrokes from Colossians. Go back to chapter 1. And we're going to break into a context here, but I want you to find verse 12, and I want you to notice the first couple of words. What does it say? Giving thanks. Our word giving thanks to the Father in 317 and this word here are both in, in the language, the Greek language, they're present tense. It means this is an ever going, this is a, a normal everyday thing like breathing. And Paul says giving thanks to the Father. So, so how, does this, how does this play out? Why do we give thanks? For what are we thankful for? giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God, this is mind-blowing. Here's here's what Colossians is, is setting us up to understand, and the whole Bible is shot through with this as well. You and I were not born inside the kingdom of God, but outside. In fact, none was ever born inside the kingdom of God except the king. We were all born in what Paul describes here as the domain of darkness. We were born in a different domain. Look at verse 19. No, verse 21. 
Verse 21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled. So you and I weren't born inside the kingdom, but outside. We're born in a different domain. We're born in a domain that's dominated by sin. We were born, listen, we were born as rebels to a benevolent king and creator. And, and at the root of sin is, I want to be king of my own kingdom. We can often define sin, particularly in our church circles, we can often define sin as things that we do. But over and over again, Scripture shows that sin at its root is a heart attitude of, I will be king. And it's natural to all of us. When, when you're going through the line at the grocery store and there's someone in front of you, and who are these wicked people that put this candy and all these kind of items where you have to pause and stop in the line at the grocery store if you have small children in your cart? That's wicked. That's so mean. And toys and all kinds of, and they're within reach. And when you hear a child or wherever they're, no, mine, what is it? I am king. You must obey and submit. It's born into us. It's born into us. We want to be king. We want to be the ruler of our own kingdom. We want to establish our own kingdom. We were born rebels to our benevolent king. Now, for God, the king and the creator, he is also righteous and just. Therefore, the Bible tells us that he must execute justice. And the penalty for rebellion against the king is what? It's death. The penalty for rebellion against the king is death. Now, here's what's amazing. Look at chapter 2, verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9. So, Paul has already told us that we've been transferred, for, for the believer, transferred from the kingdom of, from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. But how did we get there? And, and how did this redemption, how did this forgiveness, how was it accomplished? Well, first of all, we need to understand, verse 6, he says, therefore, if you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Verse 9, for in him, that is, in the beloved son, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Then go down to verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, born in, a, in a, the domain of darkness, born outside of the kingdom, born separated from God. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. These he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them in to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So all of creation, all of the spiritual realm was impacted by the cross. Because our good and benevolent and loving and just creator sent his son Jesus fully God, to bear the wrath of the king, to take our death, to take our penalty for our rebellion in order to invite us into his kingdom, to sit at his table, crippled in both feet. Think about Luke 2, 10 and 11. Think about the angel appearing to the shepherds and what did the angel say? Fear not. Again, the appearance of an angel 
like the appearance of the king's men coming for you, and you are a grandson in direct line of the former king, the appearance of an angel could be really scary because they often announce judgment. So when the angel appeared to the shepherds, the, sh- the angel says, which is almost like, when's the last time that you were at work in the middle of the night, the dead of night, and an angel appears to you? Like, it says the shepherds feared with great fear. And the angel says, fear not. Now, that's a little bit of divine humor right there. Like, my son woke me up in the middle of the night about 2.30 this morning, and I will tell you that there was a little shock and awe that took place. It was one of the few times in the middle of the night that I was sleeping. Fear not, for behold, I bring good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, Christ the King. You see, King David that we just read about was promised a descendant a descendant who will be the perfect king, who would reign forever, who would embody the grace of God, who would be an even clearer picture of what David showed to Mephibosheth. The Bible says we had nothing but a history of rebellion to the king, but he came searching for us to invite us to his table to make provision so that our rebellion could be covered. So 317, in whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ with with constant remembrance of your king and reflection on the grace that you have been shown that you are invited to sit at the king's table through the gospel and through the king's provision because the king lived the life that we could never live, satisfying God the Father, the Creator. He died the death and took upon himself the curse that we deserved. He died our death. He was the sinless sin bearer. But also the Bible tells us that on the third day, he rose again. God accepted that sacrifice and everyone can know because the king was risen that we could now enter into the kingdom. You've been graced by God. Therefore, give thanks to God the Father through Jesus in everything. You and I, like Mephibosheth, crippled, didn't realize that the king was searching for and inviting us. And the king came and found me in my brokenness and carried me to the table. Now, carried is important. Let me, let me just have a, a quick word to those outside the kingdom and for those of us inside the kingdom. And hopefully all of this will be shot through and lavished with grace. For those outside the kingdom, remember, nobody was born inside the kingdom. We were all born outside in the, what the Bible calls the domain of darkness. So you were not born. We must not assume. No one assumes presence in the kingdom. You were not your children we're born in the domain of darkness. And all the parents said, amen. We, we see that. We, we see little rulers in our home that want the whole entire kingdom of our home to, to rally around them and their commands and their proclamations. And I'm going to make a hard statement here, but not even your grandchildren. 
not even your grandchildren. We're all born, all of mankind born outside of the kingdom. And we can't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves through our good works or our religion where we try to do enough good so that we put the king in our debt and he owes us. No, it doesn't work that way. So for all of those outside the kingdom, we have to understand this. We can't get ourselves in. We must be carried. So either we, two options, two ways to live. We either live and continue in our rebellion against God, ignoring him, running our own lives and living with the damaging consequences of sin and seeking to be our own ruler, the way it damages ourselves, the way it damages our relationships and the way it damages our world. We can live that way or we can respond to the invitation to turn from our rebellion, to embrace Jesus as the resurrected and rightful ruler of our lives, understanding that our rebellion required a death and our king died in our place and invites us to a place at his table. The Bible tells us that God will wipe the slate clean, accepting Jesus' death as payment for our sinful rebellion, being fully and freely forgiven. That's grace. That's grace. But what about those of us inside the kingdom. So, so for those outside of the kingdom, you, you must make a response. You must respond to the invitation. But what about those of us inside the kingdom? And whatever you do, like, like if I could just live this verse out, my life will have been a success. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We live for the glory and ever present in our minds, the glory of King Jesus with a constant thanksgiving because we are still aware of, though we sit at the king's table, we still feel our crippled feet, don't we? We still feel our lame feet. We feel our sin. We feel our failures. We fall short. But the king has seated us at his table and his grace covers that. His grace, seated at the table of his grace, covers our feet, giving thanks. To sit at the king's table means your loyalty is to your king above all. We are not to live in open rebellion against the king. You can't sit at the king's table and then be your own king. Those two don't, don't go together. Whatever you do means that all of life is related back to the king and his wishes because he knows best. Now, if you are within the kingdom of his beloved son, let me pose it this way. What are you facing currently that seems bigger than you can handle? Remember, we said that we must be carried to the table which means we, we don't get there ourselves, but also he carries us daily. So could some of the anxiety maybe that's even in this room this morning be because we're forgetting that our king goes with us, that he is very aware of our own weaknesses and frailty, and he is still Emmanuel, God with us, and will be with us in whatever lies ahead, whatever we're facing, whatever we're pondering. We want to submit to the king. There's a way to walk through this that brings the king the most glory. He is very aware of our weaknesses, and he will meet us there. But this is something that's been going through my mind ever since I talked to the young adults class back here last week. 
when we're talking about how do we relate to the world around us, this kingdom defines us. It is our identity. It defines us and how we relate to others. We are very conscious of whether we are speaking to someone or we're trying to figure out if we're speaking to someone inside or outside of the kingdom. In the same way as I illustrated it this way, there is a a, a mechanism in us that has to know whether we are talking to a man or a woman, male or female. Because as a female, you relate to a female differently than you relate to a male. And as a male, you relate to a male differently than you relate to a female. There's a mechanism in us that has to know because who I'm talking to determines how I relate. Well, in a much broader kingdom mindset, who I'm talking to, whether they are within the kingdom or still lost in the domain of darkness, determines how I relate. Because those in the domain of darkness, those outside of the kingdom, they need to know about the king's grace and the king's invitation. They need to know that there is a joy in sitting at the king's table. But for those of us within the, in the kingdom, we relate differently. We remind one another of God's grace. Let me, let me this is my, my final thing here. Because what's interesting, and you could almost miss it, Verse 17, I don't, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to read all the scripture with just me in mind. But the verbs here are plural. He's addressing the church. He's addressing brothers and sisters in Christ. And whatever you all do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks, not just individually giving thanks, but together giving thanks. Listen, we did that and Fred led us in that and he's about to lead us in that again. Together we give thanks. But also together, there are times that we need to remind one another of God's grace. We need to help one another. We need to speak truth and encouragement to one another and and even caution to one another to remind ourselves and be reminded of God's grace because left to ourselves and in isolation, we don't remember, we tend to forget hey, you belong at the king's table. The king is for you. The king has invited you. He has lavished his grace upon you. You're forgiven. He's not forgotten you. You're not alone. And that togetherness of that verse, giving thanks to God the Father through him, together giving thanks, means that when we have brothers or sisters who are a part of us also like Amy Lackey that we just talked about and like Bobby and Linda, we, we ache with them. We show kingdom grace to them. We, we intercede to our king on their behalf because we're in this together. And the togetherness of the Bible is also so prevalent. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I didn't want to come to another Christmas and miss out. So I wrote a letter to the future me. Our king doesn't want us to miss out on his table. And an invitation has been issued to know and to love and to enjoy and to savor him. And that invitation is extended to all of us. Know him. And we know him in moments, not in tasks. Lord, thank you for your word. Um, Father, I feel so inadequate when it comes to seeking to express and
paint a portrait of the beauty of the king. God, I pray that as we reflect on what we've heard for those outside the kingdom, that they would understand that there's an invitation that has to be responded to. And that you are a benevolent king and that you are for them and that you have made all provision possible. For those of us within the kingdom, may we love our king and savor his presence and celebrate the coming of our king to rescue and then to invite us to an eternal table. Lord, as we sing, work in our hearts. Glorify your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with me as we sing closing song, Goodness of God.
be seated for just a moment. I do want to let you know that Linda Smith uh, passed away a little while ago. So we're going to lift Bobby up in prayer and uh, their family, if you would, just bow with me and pray. And then uh, Matt's going to come and share a few announcements as we're dismissed, but let's pray. God, um, times like this are difficult because we hate to see people leave this life, but we thank you that Linda is not suffering anymore and that she's with you. And we thank you for the message this morning and how Linda is able to sit at a new table and worship you in a way that we can't. And we thank you that we look forward to that opportunity that we have to spend with you for eternity. God, we lift Bobby up right now and I'm sure his heart is just breaking. And so we wanna pray that you would comfort and give him peace beyond any understanding that we can even think or comprehend. And you would surround him. I know some of our church members are down there already. But I pray that you would just give him that comfort and you would just place your loving arms around him as we know that you can. And we pray for their extended family too, Lord. Help us to be those hands and feet and just prayer warriors for them as they go through this time of sorrow and grieving. So we pray those things in the faithful and loving name of Jesus. Amen. How about that? Well, Kelly, Linda is at the king's table. His grace to her. And uh, thank you, Fred, for praying. That's uh, very important for us to continue. And thank you all for uh, joining us uh, today, uh, both online and uh, here in person. We're, we're grateful to have you. As uh, Fred mentioned, my name is Matt. Matt Pollock, um, I'm on staff here at Grace, the head of school for uh, the academy. Uh, just a couple of announcements. Uh, we do have a lot of exciting events uh, coming here as we enter uh, the Christmas season. Uh, if you didn't get the full schedule in the bulletin uh, last week, there is a special uh, insert that's still out at the table in the back, but there's a, a lot in the bulletin. Diana Pimentel just does a great job giving us so much information. I trust that you'll read all of it. Um, the Christmas program in particular, December the 10th, uh, is going to be a great time to come together at the 930 service, this very service. So be looking forward to that. Lots of extra special music, and uh, we're going to have a great time worshiping the king at that time. Uh, second item is if you have children interested in serving at the Hickory Valley Retirement Homes this coming Saturday, please let Sandy Gramacki know as soon as possible so that she can be planning for this. Uh, it's going to be a special time for the kids uh, to love on the residents there and um, bring some holiday cheer with some handmade cards they've been working on during Awana and uh, the church services. Uh, we just love to see multiple generations uh, coming together, uh, showing the love of Christ. Finally, uh, just a reminder that there are no evening activities today uh, due to the Thanksgiving weekend. We hope you continue to enjoy your time with family 
and uh, be back to our regular schedule next Sunday. Uh, so let's enjoy the fellowship time that we have coming right now. Go back through those doors and out through that hallway uh, and that our discipleship hour begins at 11 o'clock. Thank you.